Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Field Fisher's Tech and Digital Podcast presented to you by the Field Fisher team here in Silicon Valley where we take a closer look at European tech and digital development. My name is Laura Burton and I am delighted to welcome today my wonderful colleague Dr. Quan Hon with whom I will be discussing the platform to business regulation. Hi, Kwan. Hi. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yes, indeed. I'm a director in the Privacy, Security and Information Law team at Field Fisher's London office, but I also do some tech law, for example, this regulation. Wonderful. And I believe you're the expert on the P2B uh, reg. So what is that about? The P2B, or Platform to Business Regulation, as it's often called, is officially Regulation 2019-1150 on promoting fairness and transparency for business users of online intermediation services. So you can see why people just call it the P2B regulation. It applies throughout the EU from 12th July, which is not far away. Indeed, a bit of a mouthful for the whole title. Yes, indeed. And it's also meant to apply to the European economic area as well, i.e. the EU plus Iceland, Liechtenstein and Norway. And the motivation behind this is evident from its title. Um, there was a perceived imbalance between platforms, online platforms, as opposed to SMEs and other customers that use these platforms and rely on them. So it's meant to bring in greater fairness, transparency and predictability for businesses that use online platforms, for example, easier dispute resolution um, for the benefit of these business users. So, Juan, is it part of the uh, European digital agenda? So it's part of making sure that uh, we can do business uh, faster, in a safer way, in a more reliable way across Europe? That's right. It's part of the European digital strategy. Okay, great. And so, and this time, so quite often we see uh, the European Commission trying to protect consumers and users, but in this case, it targets business users, right? Absolutely. Because so of who, this perceived imbalance. It, so who does it impact really? Like, if you have to give me a few examples of who does it benefit and who should you know take care of the regulation well who it benefits is any business whether it's a company or individuals that use these platforms and who it impacts is well there's two main types of organizations one is online search engines and the other one is uh, so-called online intermediation services i'm not going to talk about online search engines here because there's relatively few of them around but a mm -hmm. lot of organizations could potentially be online intermediation services or platforms for this purpose so an online intermediation service is basically an online service which is based on contract between the service provider and the business which allows business users to offer goods or services to consumers with a view to mm -hmm. facilitating direct transactions between the business and the consumer. It doesn't matter where those transactions are concluded. Uh, no contract necessary between the business and the consumer. So to give you some examples, um, it's meant mm -hmm. to catch online e-commerce marketplaces like Amazon Marketplace, 
app stores mm -hmm. like Apple App Store and Google Play, where the business is concerned would be developers, but mm -hmm. also Facebook pages that are used by businesses, Instagram used by artists and creators, travel e-booking platforms, price comparison services. There's quite a broad reach. There are some exclusions like for online payment services and online ad exchanges or tools. But there's the unintended consequence on which I've written an article on SEL.org that it could actually also apply to cloud or hosting services which are used by EU businesses to host e-commerce websites to sell to mm -hmm. EU consumers or to host EU consumer-facing SaaS or mobile app services. So for these borderline cases, cloud or hosting services, then it's up to their own approach and risk appetite as to whether they're going to try and comply or not. So basically, if I understand correctly, if you're a business and you have your own website, then that doesn't apply, except potentially in relation to cloud. But if you are, I guess, a smaller, medium business using an online intermediary platform, then you're definitely caught and get added protection. Absolutely. But there is a territorial okay. scope issue. Okay, so what is it? So we're talking about European businesses, European people. How does it affect businesses out of the EU? Well, it is not confined to the EU. It is actually broader because it applies to an online intermediation service, which is offered to an EU business, which, as I mentioned, can include individuals in business who via the service offer goods or services to consumers, individuals only here, located in the EU. It doesn't matter where the provider of the service is, if it is used by an EU business to offer goods or services to EU consumers, then the provider's service is caught. Obviously, we have the issue of practical enforceability. If a non-EU service provider doesn't have presence or assets in the EU, maybe it might decide that it's not going to bother to comply, although obviously there are reputational issues if it's publicly known that it's non-compliant. But technically, strictly, this could catch non-EU providers. So I'm a US platform. I have online service of a B2B and I still need to comply if the service is offered to EU individuals and or if it's if some of the business users using my services are in the EU. Yeah, it's not an and or or, it's both. It has to be used by an EU business to offer mm -hmm. goods or services to EU located consumers. Then you're caught. So basically, the EU is becoming, again, a very popular with uh, the extraterritorial scope. Absolutely. Similarly to the GDPR. Absolutely. <laughs> That's why I say, well, you know, practical enforceability, maybe some providers might choose not to comply if they have no presence in the EU. But I think you're right that quite often I see it on the contractual side that even if they don't have a compliance problems in, you know, in relation to fines, um, they don't get the deals as quickly as they would or not at all if they don't comply with some of the basic EU legislation. Indeed. So that's something important. Yes, absolutely. Great. So what do we need to do? What does it require or involve? Well, for an online intermediation service to which this applies, there's basically two aspects. They've got to update their policies and processes and they've got to update their contract terms. So when we come to policies and processes, they've got to have a complaint system unless they're a small enterprise. They must set up a compliant free complaints handling system for business users. So not consumers, business users. 
So this might mean recruiting more people to handle complaints or outsourcing complaints handling. And actually, this is without prejudice to either side's right to sue. And an annual report has to be published on the complaints handling in the last year. Also, they must set up a system to handle mediation. Again, unless it's a small enterprise, they have to identify at least two mediators who meet certain criteria that they're willing to engage with. They'd have to have policies and processes to deal with requests from business users for mediation. And indeed, if there's mediation, they'll have to pay a reasonable proportion of the total costs as suggested by the mediator. Again, this is without prejudice to either side's right to commence litigation if they want to. And they even have to provide information on past mediation to businesses if requested. Yeah, and it, this seems to be very much in line of uh, the EU's motto, which is, you know, providing fairness and ensuring that the smaller players have access. So interestingly enough, it's not just the terms of use and policy that they need to update, but very much the processes behind in order to make sure that the businesses, the smaller businesses have a voice. Yes. There are other processes which need updating as well. One of the very important ones is if the service provider wants to update its standard terms in future, it has to mm -hmm. put in place policies and processes for managing that because if it doesn't comply, then the updates could be invalid. Those updated terms could be void. So it has to give at least 15 days notice in a durable medium. The notice period mm -hmm. could be longer depending on the situation. And the business user has the right to terminate when it receives this notice. So service providers have to be careful about their processes for updating their standard terms in future. That sounds very favorable to smaller businesses, but it, we haven't heard much about it. Has it been drowned on the Brexit or why haven't we been talking about it a bit more? I don't know. I mean, that's why I kind of made it my mission to become an expert on this topic and advocate that people know about this because July is not far off. There's not much time to update policies and processes. And the final update to policies and processes I wanted to mention was that if a service provider, a platform, wants to terminate or restrict the service or suspend a business user or indeed reinstate it after that. Again, there are particular processes to be followed. It must provide a statement of reasons for the termination, etc. There's a minimum notice period with some exceptions. So again, that's another process which needs to be updated. There's policies and processes and then there's terms. The service provider, the online intermediation service provider, must update its standard terms to comply. The terms have to be in plain, intelligible language. They have to be easily accessible, including pre-contract, and they have to include certain minimum information. So just to mention the main ones, and this is, of course, the focus of transparency. And the first one's ranking. What determines how search results are ranked on, say, an e-commerce marketplace? Can you pay? Can the business user pay to get a higher ranking, etc.? And the point is that businesses should be able to compare how different providers rank search results and then improve how their goods and services are presented so they could get a higher ranking, although proprietary algorithms don't have to be disclosed. Then another term is that information on access to data has to be included. So any access that the provider has to data, that the business user has, that a third party might be given to data, whether it's given by the business or consumers or automatically generated, information on that access has to be provided in the terms. 
Also, if there's differentiated treatment, if the service provider offers its own or subsidiaries goods or services on the same platform, effectively in competition with the business users, then it has to give the reasons for that. If the platform restricts business users from offering goods or services under different conditions through other means, so you know you can't offer goods at better prices elsewhere, for example, then they have to give the reasons mm -hmm. for that in the terms. Information on ancillary goods or services also have to be provided, and these are ancillary goods or services complementary to the specific product that is purchased by the consumer. This could be offered by the service provider or by a third party or by the business itself. But that information has to be provided, and also, of course, mm -hmm. information on the complaints system of the service provider and naming two mediators, unless it's a small enterprise. And another important aspect is that all grounds that the service provider wants to rely on for terminating or restricting or suspending a particular user must be included, and also grounds for business user to terminate, which must be proportionate. And finally, information on distribution channels or affiliate programs that the provider uses to market goods or services offered by the business. That information also has to be in the terms. And there are other bits and pieces, but those are the main ones that have to be in the terms. So there's quite a lot of process change, term change, and reflection yes. needing to happen right now Absolutely. in order to be able to make these changes. Indeed. So what if I decide, you know, who cares? Ah. You know, I still the bigger platform or one of the biggest platforms businesses want to sell you know, on the platform. So I'll just will ignore this until I'm reminded that I need to pay attention. Well, the first point is that certain terms are completely void in some situations. The main one is proposed changes to the terms where the required notice period isn't given in a durable medium. Or mm -hmm. you could have a business arguing that a term is not in plain, intelligible language, so it's not enforceable. For example, grounds for deciding to terminate. Or a business user could argue that the terms were not easily available at all stages throughout the relationship, and therefore they're not enforceable against it. There are potentially other penalties or enforcement, but that's up to the individual member states. They haven't issued anything yet about this. But in addition, business users, industry bodies like trade associations representing SMEs, and certain public authorities, depending on the member state, would be able to litigate to stop or prevent non-compliance by a service provider. And also, member states are encouraged to set up registries of national injunctions and share information. So there could also be reputational issues if a particular provider is in the registry or it becomes publicly known that it is not complying. Okay, so that sounds like a very efficient means that if, you know, in addition to basically there being no contract in the terms of null and void, you can actually get enforcement actions by representative body of business users, which means that you have quite a lot of weight behind such enforcement action. And of course, it gives more strength to smaller business users if they uh, join up against the bigger platforms. Yes, absolutely. That's that's intention to protect and help business users to enforce. Okay, that sounds pretty compelling. So what would you say now, if you had to give us five tips to conclude, what are the things that you want people to know about or to remember or to do when they think about the P2B regs? I suppose I've got fewer than five tips to comply, but a few things to remember. <laughs> um, in terms of compliance, organizations should be checking, are any of your services in scope? 
because it's by the service, not the yeah. organization. You have to look at your services and think which ones are in scope, whether because it's an online intermediation service, which is within the territorial scope ones, or whether it might be borderline, for example, with cloud and hosting providers in some situations. Then the second point is if it's borderline or you have no presence or access in the EU, then do you really want to try and comply anyway or not? Some organizations might want to wait and see for national penalties and enforcement, like fines, etc. We just don't know about that yet. But, you know, maybe some member states will be saying that this will be fined. Some might not. We don't know yet. For an organization that decides to comply for the relevant services, it's got to go and find out the information that it has to put it in the terms. It has to update the mm -hmm. terms, of course, with the relevant information and it has to update its policies and processes, as we discussed earlier, including, for example, staff recruitment, training, outsourcing for complaints handling, mediation, processes for terminating or restricting, etc., users and processes for updating standard terms. Thanks, Quan. That's really useful. And what are the key things that you'd like us to remember and take away from this podcast? Things to remember. Basically, it catches or could catch more online services than you might think. Secondly, for in-scope services, certain terms, for example, proposed updates to terms, could be completely void if non-compliant. And finally, 12th July is not that far away. There's not a huge amount of time to prepare, but also keep an eye out for national laws on enforcement and penalties, commission guidance on ranking, and indeed information on mediators meeting the required criteria. Thanks, Quan. That's really helpful. Thank we'll you very much, on. Laura. And have a great day. And you too.